0: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. At LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, hey. All right.
1: Jump up. Get it. Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 188 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, We mentioned last episode that we'd be coming to you midweek, and we are coming to you just a few minutes after Duke takes down Boston College, 63 to 55 in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. Uh, We're going to recap that game, obviously a struggle of a game, and we're also going to preview the next one on our schedule, the big one against UNC in Chapel Hill on Saturday night, but first, I'm your host for this episode, Donald Wine. I am back in Washington D.C. and I have my other compadres with me. First in Durham, I have Sam Klein. What's up, Sam?
0: Well, we said that it would take almost Duke's worst game of the season to lose to Boston College, and we almost got it. Uh, it was, I, I, it was, uh, it was almost, so bad at halftime. I, that I, I had, I had to change bars. This might have uh, been the
3: worst. This
1: might have been the I, worst.
0: I had. Wait, to, Sam, I had to tell them what you did half-time. in the second half. Yeah, tell so them what you I, did in the second half. I watched the first. I watched the first half of the game at the bar at the Washington Duke Inn, which if you've never watched a Duke game there, great, great place to take in a game. Uh, they they have the projector; it's really cool. Except that we were losing, and I told my friend that I was watching with. I said we have to leave at halftime if Duke is losing this game. So we relocated to 9th Street uh, to watch the second half. Uh, and and duke pulled out the victory so uh, and you were at and you were where we were at Dane's. um and where will you uh, be saturday night <laughs> uh saturday night saturday night i will be in chapel hill uh, oh that's I'll right you're a, going to the game okay. i'll be at the well, game on excused. saturday night in you'll chapel be hill so yeah so i will not be but the but but i think you know a lot of my friends will be there you know you know a lucky places Dane's. now
1: if you go okay. to Dane's,
0: that's the best place to watch that that would be the official bar of the duke basketball report podcast if i ever asked them to sponsor it. <laughs> I spend enough money there. Lo- location a
3: is a thing. I mean, yes, it's real. It's, it certainly it, is. It's, a, it's, it's not real, real, but it's
0: definitely real.
1: Uh, the other compadre that I have with me, you just heard him, Jason Evans. He is in Atlanta. Jason, how you feeling?
3: Um, seeing as I'm the guy who, on the last podcast, Sam said, Jason, what can BC do to win this game? And I was, like, flummoxed and couldn't come up with
0: anything. I'm like, they Yeah, can't. I was thinking about you the whole first half. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think I said BC would have to play out of their mind, bet the best game of the, of the season. What I didn't count on was Duke playing the worst game of the season. Feels like we should yeah. Get into well, the you, recap. Huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, let's get into it with, before we recap the whole thing in 25 seconds. But uh, as mentioned, Duke went up to uh, the Boston area to play the Boston College Eagles. It was an incredibly, incredibly struggle, a, a struggleish game, sluggish from on all sides, offense and defense. In the end, Duke in, eventually pulls it out, 63 to 55. Um, we have a lot we sh- we should go over, but I'm going to start with you, Jason. Uh, I want you to start with the offense because the offense was a chore tonight.
3: Woo! It was it was abysmal. I I don't think I've ever seen a Duke team miss this many bunnies, this many shots inside of three feet. Um, we haven't been that bad in the paint all year. It was it was really surprising to watch. We uh, you know look, it's obvious you can look at the box score and, and realize that Duke couldn't hit an outside shot to save their mind. Thankfully, Joey Baker drained one. Which uh, allowed us to not, you know, to. to, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, Joey Baker drained one, which allowed us to maintain that streak that uh, is like the second longest streak in college basketball of making a three pointer every game. But I think I I
1: think they mentioned Jason. This is aside, but they mentioned that it was second. I think it's now number one because Vanderbilt was was a team that had never gone without missing one until last week.
3: I I believe I've read that UNLV has a has a longer streak than us. Oh, but it might be. We can double check that. Yeah, yeah wh- whatever it, it may be. I remember important. they mentioned it on
0: the broadcast. It's important when the data is available for us to argue about it without looking it up. Yeah. I think that's so, the that's the intellectual honesty that people expect from us. So uh, we bring that to yeah, the DBR podcast. It's, it's more than a thousand
3: games, but regardless, I want to put the three pointers aside because to me the story because is great. we didn't make
0: any of them. Well yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: But look, it, it's easy to understand and go, look, hey, sometimes your three pointers aren't falling. I thought we took good three pointers. They were they were good looks. Uh they just didn't fall. So we're one for 15 on threes. Against a team like Boston College, that shouldn't matter if we hit twos the way we're supposed to. But boy, we did not hit our two point shots. I mean, Vernon Carey, five for the I mean, he had 17 points and 10 rebounds. But he was five for 13, and Vernon Carey was missing shots on the inside. He doesn't usually miss. Cassius Stanley, just two for eight in this game. Duke and was saved. Was, and one
1: was the life, uh, a dunk lifer. He dunked. Oh my God. Yeah, yet. one
3: was like one of the craziest dunks you've yeah. seen all year. Uh, Duke was saved by two guys. Duke was saved first by Joey Baker, who came in sort of in the middle of the second half. Um, Duke, by the way, went very small in this game in the second half, especially I am not certain. I haven't seen all the numbers. I don't think that Matthew hurt or Jack white played at all in the second half. Someone may correct me. Maybe they, maybe, you know, a minute or two, but for the most part in the second half, the second biggest guy in the floor for Duke was Wendell Moore or Joey Baker, um, uh, you know, or Alex O'Connell. Uh, Literally, we we were playing those guys who are absolutely wings. We were playing them essentially as our power forward, so to speak, because Duke went so small. I think in an effort to get more spacing and, uh, you know, and Coach K just, he wanted to change something up. BC is not a, a very big team and Coach K wanted to see if he could unlock some offense through having smaller guys on the floor. But Duke was saved by Joey Baker, who, like I said, came in and gave us a little spark, I think gave us the lead And then we were really saved, more than anything else, by Trey Jones. And and guys, I want to recount for for you all and for the listening audience out there. At the five-and-a-half-minute mark, Duke is up 50-49. to It's a one-point game. Trey Jones makes a jumper. Then Duke scored when Wendell Moore made a layup where Trey Jones gave him an assist. And then a couple minutes later, Trey made a layup. This is all of Duke scoring. Literally every single point duke gets in the final five and a half minutes is going to be connected to trey jones so trey makes a layup with about three and a half minutes left with a minute 50 trey makes another layup then with a minute one second left trey makes that incredible assist to delorier when you know duke has this crazy scrambling possession um uh, and then basically the game was over at that point duke's up by seven with with a minute left to go and um, Trey made a couple of free throws down the stretch as well. Our entire offense, the final five minutes, the only thing we were able to do successfully was get the ball in the hands of Trey Jones. Uh, earlier this week, the the list of the Wooden Award candidates came out, and as I scanned down the list, I was looking for Vernon Carey's name. I knew he would be on it, and a lot of people say that Vernon Carey is the leading contender for National Player of the Year. And I noticed that Trey Jones' name was on the list, also. Twenty guys, I think it's a list of twenty players who are the finalists for the Wooden Award. Trey Jones absolutely deserves to be there, deserves consideration for first-team All-ACC, for All-American, all those other kind of things, and he showed why in this game. There's not a chance, not a prayer, of Duke winning this game without Trey Jones' heroics down the stretch.
0: Yeah, and Jason, you know what i said, Jason, you said that, that Duke was taking good shots. Um, they just weren't making them or something to that effect. That's like me saying that I have good pickup lines, but I don't have a girlfriend. Um, I'm I don't really care. I don't really care that Duke was taking good shots. It it wasn't working tonight. And and what was so frustrating, I, I want to come back to Trey Jones, what was so frustrating was in the first half that Duke was getting all those good looks. I mean, they had they had easy layups, they had open threes, and none of it was falling. And what we said earlier about how Boston College would have to play the best that they could to beat Duke, Boston College wasn't even playing that well. I mean, their offense is still really sporadic. They, they don't, they don't take good shots. They take a lot of like long twos and, and mid range pull-ups. And it's, it's an ugly form of offense. I, I think I texted you guys in the middle of the game that it looked like the shot chart out of, out of a game from the Danny Ferry era, because no one was hitting threes. It was all, it was all these weird mid range shots. So it wasn't even like Boston college was playing that well. Duke just couldn't get anything working on offense, even the easy shots. And so the Duke defense totally fine. They held Boston College to 55. Like that's if you had told me before the game that was going to happen, great. That's that's about what Boston College's scoring output was when they came to Cameron. The difference is that that they couldn't make any of the shots and as you pointed out down the stretch they they finally were able to to make a little bit click on offense and even then it didn't feel like they were getting the the offensive looks that they really wanted. As you mentioned Joey yeah, Baker wait, was the wait, only yeah. one to hit a 3. Do do you think, Sam, that Duke was taking
3: bad shots, or the shots just weren't falling? No, they, they
0: weren't. That's that. That's what's really frustrating. They just don't about fall. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's right. just it's reality. Like, right, and it's like, it, it, let's say every shot has a like a good shot has a fifty percent chance of going in. Every single one was hitting the under on yeah. on all of those on all of those draws. Yeah. Duke ends up what one for fifteen or so from from three point land like that. You know. They they took bad shots. They weren't bad
3: threes. They weren't right. bad threes. That's
0: what's that, That's what's so frustrating about it. Um, hopefully, that means that they got all the bad shots out of their system yeah. ahead of the game this weekend because UNC will play a faster pace and will and will take even more shots than Boston College will. So Duke's going to have to take more to to catch up with them. Um, you know, it, it'll be a totally different sort of game in Chapel Hill.
1: So I remember, I, I remember taking note of this. There was a point where they mentioned that the the we were still over from the three point line, and once Joey Baker hit the three, which was later in the game, uh, but in between that we started taking a step in and then jumping and taking it like a Cal Singler too. So Jason, I'm glad you brought up that five and a half minute mark left in the game because I thought that was the game. There was a point. There's a stretch in the game where offense and defense combined to really end it for BC. So right around five and a half minutes left in the game, Trey Jones comes down. He makes a Kyle Singler two. He makes it 52-49. BC immediately takes a timeout because they want to they try and stem whatever mo- uh, momentum that we were gaining. Immediately after that timeout, we came out with Jordan Goldwire and Trey Jones and Wendell Moore, and we pressure the ball in the backcourt, and we get a turnover. Wendell Moore goes down. He makes the layup. Then we pressure them again, force a long pass that we – that is picked off by us. We go Baker, down. Yeah, we Baker get intercepted fouled. it. Yeah. Yep, Baker intercepted it. We go down. Wendell Moore gets fouled. He, gets a, he misses the front end of the one and one but then we hustle back down on the other end. They go right at Javon Delorier, and Javon Delorier draws, draws a charge. So in three straight possessions, right at that mark, BC, turnover, turnover, charge. And at that point, they were out of it because you could see that they really at that point what was a two point game became like, as you said, Jason, a six, seven point game and BC realized that their window had shut. And I think that was a very important uh, a moment in that in this game, especially when it kept it seemed like we were battling to get back. And every time we did, BC would just be one step ahead of us. But, Jason, talk to me about the rotations. uh the one thing that I was looking at was the big men rotation. And like you said, we but had a couple men. of times where, <laughs> there yeah, there were but there were, but when window, I'm sorry, not with Wendell Moore, uh when uh, Vernon Carey had four fouls, he came out and we still went it seemed like we went smaller, where Jab Delori would come in at stretches, but it was really Jack White and Wendell Moore that were our big men at at a certain point.
3: Well again, I, I don't think I saw Jack White very much. Javin, Javin was coming in mostly rotating for Vernon, Mm -hmm. but, but the other interesting thing that happened was Cassius Stanley did not play much in the second half at all. Um, it was, uh, you know, I think, I, I feel like maybe coach K wanted to show confidence in Joey Baker and Wendell Moore. Both of them got a lot of time in the second half. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys noticed at the start of the second half, um, uh, we had uh, both Goldwire and Hurt, who are the regular starters, were not starters at the start of the second half. Um, Alex O'Connell started at the start of the second half, and so did Wendell Moore. I mean, we were going small with O'Connell and Moore as their second biggest guys on the floor from the very start of the second half, and that's what Kay did the entire second half. It, it, you know, we we've talked so much about rotations, depth, whatever you want to call it this season. I thought it was very interesting that in this game it was yet another game where – you know, Coach K was mixing around different parts, trying to figure out what would work. I'm not sure he ever found anything that worked other than Trey Jones, but that's okay. He he kept on experimenting and trying to figure it out. And Duke managed to to go ahead and get a victory. And look, the bottom line is sometimes you gotta win a game where you're just playing crappy. Duke played crappy and they still found a way to win.
0: Jason, I think you hit on a key thing that that might have been the the master plan here, which is that despite the missing shots, the Process was good and Duke wanted to see different groups of guys on the floor playing against uh against Boston College. So he wanted to see more of what Joey Baker could do, what Alex O'Connell could do. Perhaps this is Duke's last opportunity. Wendell more too. And, and Wendell Moore, right, who's just come back from injury. This might be one of Duke's last opportunities to play like a, a pretty bad team to to tune up going into March to figure out, all right, which combinations work well together? Who does Trey Jones sort of feed off of best? Because, because Trey Jones and Vernon Carey are the best players on the team, sort of depending on what minute you've tuned into the game. Cassius Stanley is sometimes there, but but Jones and Carey I think are the most reliable. And Kay being able to experiment with who those guys are going to going to match up best with and, and who they're going to play defense best with and they're, who they're going to play offense best with is important to this coaching staff going into March. And there's only so much that they can glean from that in practice. Even if in practice they're going up against players who are probably better than Boston college's players, they don't really get to see that in a game until they're, they're in a situation like this. So it was a little bit of playing with fire because losing to Boston college can, can cost you a lot come selection time, but Duke's managed Duke manages to, to pull it out. And perhaps Kay thought, Look, as long as it's still close at the end of the game, I've still got the finishers who who are going to be able to to take it home for us.
3: The only thing I would say, and I look, Coach K always wants to win, and I don't think you're for a moment saying he was potentially sacrificing. No, I I don't
0: think yeah I don't think he was trying to do that. He just he recognizes that there's more slack to play with when you're playing Boston College than if you're playing Louisville.
3: I I do want to point out that the nature of Duke's losses put us in a little bit of a dicey situation here. Stephen F. Austin and Clemson. Are, are bad losses. They're not terrible losses, but they're pretty bad losses. If we rack up another bad loss, that starts to become the narrative on Duke. And, uh, you know, when you're talking about seeding, uh, you know, I think there's a decent argument that Duke may need to win out or maybe lose no more than one more game the rest of the season to get a number one seed, just because there are a couple teams that are in easier conferences and are playing their way to, to, to being, you know, number ones just based on a really gaudy record. But if if Duke takes another loss to, uh, you know, a sub top 70 team um, and in the case of Boston College, you know, barely a top 150 team, I I think there's a pretty good argument that takes us completely out of the running for a number one seed.
1: And really, when we're talking about seeding, it it doesn't matter for us. I think for us, we're looking at one or two in the east because that brings us to Madison Square Garden. And and also keeps us in North Carolina until we have to go to the Garden. So I think you're right. I think these type of tra- these type of trap games are is good that we got up there. We struggled, but we got the win. Let's go back and let's regroup. But at the end, if we struggle a little bit down the stretch, that's what we're playing for. One or two get us keep us in North Carolina, and then go to the Garden, and then
0: hopefully to a Final Four. Duke's, Duke's placement in North Carolina for the first weekend of the tournament is in pretty good shape just because there aren't that many teams that are also in the mid-Atlantic to, to Southeast region that are probably going to be... The two teams have to be better than Duke in that area for Duke to not go to Greensboro. It's the, it's the Madison Square Garden, the New York, and the second weekend that Duke really wants to be able to secure. Coach K likes playing on the East Coast and he knows that we're going to have a favorable crowd if we are in New York.
1: Okay, gentlemen, now that BC is behind us, we get to look forward to Saturday. Saturday evening in Chapel Hill, the first installment this year of Duke versus North Carolina. Obviously, we have been playing a lot better than them, but this is also the third game in the row that we are playing on the road. The last three years that we have had to do that, we have not won all three games. So uh, Sam, I'm going to start with you. And you can bring in, you know, what the, how UNC has played to date. Your, their last game on uh, Monday against uh, Florida State. But what do you think is the, the thing that we have to look forward to on Saturday to beat the Tar Heels?
0: Well, it's got to start with containing Cole Anthony who is obviously just back from injury and has taken a lot of shots in his in his first two games since returning to the lineup for the Heels not very efficient on offense so the key is let him keep taking shots but but keep a man on him Trey Jones and Jordan Goldwire are both going to have their hands full with uh with Cole Anthony who who does like to shoot a lot I think you have to look at UNC's recent game against Florida State just last night on Monday was Honestly, a, a pretty impressive performance given that they they really hung with the Seminoles. They were only down by one at halftime. Um, the game was in Tallahassee, and and UNC only loses by six points. It was a back and forth affair basically the whole way. But Cole Anthony's shooting perhaps takes them out of the game. So figure out how to how to duplicate that game plan um, against UNC this Saturday. Duke should feel pretty motivated after that lackluster performance against Boston college. You got to figure that coach K is going to be running those, those drills that he does with them, where he makes them shoot a bunch of shots in like, I think that's like the four minute drill or something where he just has them take continuous uh, shots over and over and over again, just to get them all in the rhythm of hitting them. You're going to hopefully see a Duke offense that is really excited to play against UNC on Saturday and a defense that's going to be a little bit more fired up to contain them from the perimeter.
1: So, Jason, on, the, on that note, we you know Cole Anthony is kind of the, the story of three acts that is the UNC basketball team. There is the first couple of games of the year when they were full strength and Cole Anthony was viewed as one of the top guys on the nation. There's the second act where he got hurt and was out for almost two months. And then there's these last couple of games is act three that he's been back. Is UNC better with or without Cole Anthony playing?
3: Well, I mean, what a dangerous question to ask!
1: It's very Uh, loaded.
3: (laughs) I I think there's a decent argument that this Carolina team might be better without Cole Anthony. Um, They have now played 11 games with him and 11 games without him. Uh, You know, and I'm not saying 11 games is a perfect sample size to be able to make uh, a determination like this, but the heels are scoring about 101. 101.4 101.4 points per, per per 100 possessions without Cole Anthony. When they do have Cole Anthony in the lineup, they only scored 96.3 points per 100 possessions. Now, let's be clear, 101 is a really bad number. I mean, that's bad. If you're a team that that means you're struggling to score. But what it means, the fact that they're 5 points <laughs> worse with him in the lineup means that they're not just bad with him in the lineup. They're really bad. Now, the the, the advanced metrics. Yeah. Following
1: up on that just real quick. I mean, obviously, Cole Anthony. No, I don't think anyone's saying like, hey, I mean, Cole Anthony is one of the better players in the country. Is it is it how they play with him on the court? I mean,
3: he's a volume player. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean. Look at his stats. Look at what he's he is not scoring efficiently at all. He's not involving other guys. Um, You know, in, in the game, look, just have a look at what's happened to Garrison Brooks. Garrison Brooks, the Carolina big man, has has gone from being sort of, you know, just a, a mediocre ACC player a couple of years ago to being a pretty darn good one. I mean, Garrison Brooks has a definite chance at being first or second team all ACC this year. He was averaging get this. He was averaging twenty one point seven points per game over his past seven games before Cole Anthony came back. Cole Anthony came back, and in the two games since Anthony came back, Garrison Brooks has scored a total of 15 points. His shots are down. He's not shooting as much because Cole Anthony's so busy taking terrible shots. I mean, this Carolina team used to be a team that dumped it in the post a lot and, and had trouble scoring. Now they're a team that hoisted up from the perimeter and has trouble scoring. I think you're better off Trying to score from inside than taking bad outside shots. I mean, Cole Anthony's fairly good on defense, but on offense, they are tremendously inefficient with him on the floor.
0: So, and it's I'm not very... just it, it, it's not just Anthony that's been somewhat disappointing for UNC this season. I think they expected to get more out of Mar- Armando Bacot. They expected to get more out of these um, grad student transfers that they had. And Leaky and Black, Le- Leaky of...
3: Black was supposed to be a good player for them this year. Le- well, right, and,
0: and Leaky Black, who's 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 been there. Right. He's he's been on the team now a couple of years and and isn't really producing much. So I think the story for UNC across the board is these underperforming players. So Duke has to, you know, has to be serious against them that, you know, they're going to play their best game against Duke uh, because that's just how it works. Right. Garrison Brooks is the only guy.
3: Garrison Brooks is quite literally the only guy on Carolina that you look at what you thought he would be in the preseason and what he is today. And you go, oh, he's better than I expected. Virtually every other guy in the team isn't even what you expected. They are pretty much worse than what you expected.
0: There's a reason that we've seen more unbelievable press conferences after games from Roy Williams this season than we've probably seen at any other year in his career.
3: There, there's a reason that they are five and twelve in their past seventeen games. Let's get that out there. Five right. and twelve in their past seventeen games.
0: So
1: I'm glad. So I'm glad I teed this up perfectly for you because I was hoping that you would talk about Cole Anthony because the way I've seen them the last couple games and even the first few games when he wasn't hurt before he got hurt it's become a give the ball the will offense to, to borrow from the Fresh Prince where literally it seemed like everyone on the court is like okay Cole Anthony's back I have to get him the ball so he can score and I think that's why they've been so inefficient when you know before and it seems like now they're you know that they're downed in the ACC. They've had a really terrible year as far as win-loss record. And now they see that their window's closing for everything, NCAA tournament, the NIT tournament, CBA, whatever, CBI, all of those, right? And now they're in panic mode. And with Cole Anthony back, they say, okay, now we have a chance to win if we just give him the ball and score. And it's not happening because I feel like they're, whatever flow they had of their offense has gone away. We've seen this in, with other teams too, right? Like, I mean, we've seen it with us. Like we saw it when, when Kyrie Irving came back, all of a sudden, you know, Kyrie, we had to redo our entire offense essentially to rework them back in. And that doesn't always work out. So uh, one thing that I, I want to see from our guys is to see, Hey, you know, if, if they're going to let Cole Anthony take, you know, 20, you know, shoot get 21 points, then shut down everybody else. But I want to see us try and make sure that guys that are not, Good with the basketball, have the basketball in their hands because I think our pressure can over overwhelm them at times. But Jason, I want to go back to you. What is Carolina good at? We talk about what they're terrible at. What are they good at?
3: Rebounding. This is a this is a, you know a, a typical for a Roy Williams team. Carolina is a very good rebounding team. They're top twenty in the country in offensive rebounding. They're top ten in the country in defensive rebounding. Look, Duke just played a game against Boston College. Granted, that game was an aberration and and it didn't look like the Duke team we've seen all year, but it was a game where Duke really struggled on the boards. Um, If we struggle on the boards, Carolina could kill us in there. You know, we we just played a game against Boston College where Duke went small. Carolina will play big. Carolina will almost certainly have two big men in the game at all times. That's the way Roy Williams plays the game. And he's going to force you to play his style. And they're going to, their best hope Is to to kill Duke on the boards. Now Duke's been a really good rebounding team this year, but we've had games where we've struggled. And we were were even with
0: Boston College on rebounds tonight. Yeah, and they're a
3: bad they're a bad rebounding team. Um, so this could bleed. You know, if I if I'm a Carolina fan trying to figure out how we win this game, I'm looking at rebounding and I'm saying we've got to kill Duke on the boards. And when we're missing shots, because Carolina's gonna miss shots, they are one of the they are like in the bottom ten percent at two pointers, three pointers, free throws, you name it. They are terrible at shooting the ball. They are great at rebounding it. And
0: and and that's their and, big hope. and offensive rebounding, offensive rebounding is somewhat going out of vogue across basketball. It's more like get your shot, like get a good shot and then get back on defense. Carolina does not play that kind of basketball. They they play they Roy Williams love focusing on offensive rebounds. So you gotta you gotta get them um you you have to protect against that and duke has to be paying attention on the defensive end
1: so we've talked a lot about what carolina does well what they don't do well which is you know a lot i want to talk about our team and this matchup and so sam i'm going to go back to you for this who on our team do you think needs to have a great game
0: for us to be successful on saturday night i'll give you two one is either Trey Jones or Jordan Goldwire has to do a good job of, of guarding the perimeter. And then two is going to be one of our three point shooters. It's got to be Joey Baker or Matthew hurt or Alex O'Connell. Someone is going to have to make shots for Duke uh, in this game, which, which was not something we saw tonight against Boston college. Something you have to do against Carolina is, is make those three pointers because they are going to, they're going to come back at you fast and, and you want to be able to keep up with them.
3: Jason. Yeah, so I'll, I'll say that I think I'll, – again, I'll take two guys. It's two guys who barely played against Boston College, Matthew Hurt and Jack White, because, like I said, Carolina will play big. They will play two bigs. And, and Vernon Carey Garrison, against Garrison Brooks, yeah, I mean, a great matchup. Matchup of two guys who, like I said, are probably first-team All-ACC. Um, if, if Carolina is able to exploit Duke at that power forward position – that's going to be a big, big problem for us. And and I think that those guys, one of those guys is going to have to get seven, eight plus rebounds. In fact, I, those two guys, Jack White and Matthew Hurt, probably going to have to combine for double-digit rebounds. Otherwise, I think Duke could be in some trouble in this game.
1: So I I, I like both your answers. I kind of went slightly in the middle. So on offense, I think it's Wendell Moore. I think his defense has been pretty good since he came back from uh, his injury. His offense has been kind of shaky. I need. I think his offense, if he can get going offensively as part of the rotation, then I think that he's one of those guys that I don't think UNC has enough people to cover. The second one is Matthew Hurt. And I think it's because he has length. He has shooting. And if he can do both of those things then he's a matchup problem for UNC, and I think that'll help spread everything out and allow guys like Trey Jones and uh, and Vernon Carey to shine. Go
0: ahead, Sam. One one thing on Wendell Moore that I found interesting and, and which shows that he's still sort of recovering from the injury, Trey Jones came out at a key point in the game against Boston College, and Wendell Moore wasn't in their running point. Jordan Goldwire was. I think early in the season, we saw Wendell Moore playing a lot of the backup point guard position and that Goldwire, despite sort of notionally being a point guard, wasn't really getting, getting the ball in his hands to, to initiate the offense. Moore was getting more of that. He didn't do that tonight. Look for him potentially to regain that role as he's more in the flow of the offense and, and more integrated with the team coming back from the injury.
3: You want a remarkable stat about tonight's game against Boston College? Wendell Moore played the second most minutes on the team. Trey Jones played 38 minutes. Wendell Moore played 30 minutes. He's the only other guy on the team to play 30 minutes in this game. Shows you how much confidence Coach K has and how valuable Coach K thinks Wendell Moore's defense. Because that's what I think Wendell Moore is mostly bringing to the table because, let's face it,
0: no, no one ventures in the it, lane it, with it that. Is, Having it can- is. <laughs> you know, his defense is very good, but I, I think he's at his best if he gets to handle the ball for five or six minutes a game. I think that's important for this Duke team. And that that's where their ceiling is, is that, is that he's the backup ball handler to Trey Jones and not Jordan Goldwire.
3: Uh, Okay. But there's no one on this team who puts their head down when they're going to the basket with no idea what they're going to do once they pick up their dribble more than Wendell Moore. Well, I I love you. That's why I said, that's why I said, that's a,
0: that's a ceiling thing. That's not, that's not where they are right now. That's what we're hoping that they get. And there were, he had moments like that early in the season where he did look like he knew what he was doing. It's just that, you know, he, he got injured and he's, he's probably still finding his way around. He's still probably getting used to ACC play as it were.
1: Uh, The one final thing that I want to touch on is something that we've talked about a lot this season. And that's leadership. We are going to the Dean dome for, you know, many of our guys. It's the first time they don't know what to expect. And so we're going to need to lean on some of these, uh, some of the more veteran players. It's Jeff going to be DeLore very weird Jack for them because, because it, it's going to be so quiet, right? Is, it's, I mean, it's usually quiet because it's the wine and cheese. Dump. I'll be loud. Uh, I'll be loud. I, and you, you know what? I will listen for you too, because I, here's the thing. I feel like I'll be able to find you. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things where the, the allure of the Dean dome, yada, yada, yada. I'm, I'm sorry. Doing sarcasm throws you out at home, but the, the allure is there, and for a lot of guys in college basketball, they want to go in there and do well. And to this point this year, a lot of teams have done that. We want to add to that list. It's going to take the leadership of our captains, our, our, old, our veteran players, to say, hey, this is how we beat Carolina. This is what to expect when we go into the Dean Dome on Saturday, and here's how we come together and, and go out and leave Chapel Hill with a victory.
3: But By the way, you know something amazing we're so used to Carolina being old, and, and you know because Roy doesn't do the one and done kind of thing. But a lot of the guys in this game for Carolina are going to be in their first Duke Carolina game. because Yeah, because he's got these guys who are transfers. You know, transfers. And he's he's relying on players who haven't played you know a lot for UNC in the past. I mean, like Garrison Brooks. Garrison Brooks may be the only guy out there who's played meaningful minutes in a Duke Carolina game for for UNC. I I, I don't think. I mean, Leaky Black didn't play last year against us. I, I think they are going to be just as sort of, you know, taking in the moment of a Duke Carolina game as we are. Uh, even though their players are older, like I said, their transfers and things like that, that these guys are not experienced playing in this atmosphere.
1: Yeah. Okay. So one final thing that I just came up with, and it's something that comes up in this rivalry and it's the coaches and we have two legendary coaches, Coach K, Roy Williams. They always, There's always one part of each game where I feel like the other, one of the coaches has a trick up their sleeve. It's not necessarily something that is unveiled. Everyone's like, oh, my God, that's something we've never seen before. But they have some nugget that they hold on to, and they know that they can deploy it against the other team to be successful. Do you guys see anything from these two teams that you think, hey – you know what, Coach K might, might try to do this on Saturday. Or, conversely, do you think there's something that Roy Williams could do on Saturday night
0: to kind of uh, stifle us? Roy Williams is going to go into a full squat at least once during this game. <laughs> I'm he's glad going to play defense <laughs> like he always does. <laughs> he's, going to make that, he's going to make that really angry face that he makes when he goes into a full squat. That's, that, that's what he's going to try. I don't know if it's going to work. It, it's not usually very effective, but he's going to try it again.
3: I don't. If, if Coach K has something special,
0: why would he use
3: it against North Carolina? I mean, more no zone.
0: Offenses. More we, <laughs> no, we because it's North we, Carolina. We threw a little zone at Boston College tonight. Maybe we'll see a little more zone.
3: It's it's possible, but I mean, of of all the games left on Duke's schedule, I mean, home against Virginia Tech, at Wake Forest. Those are the only games. We that got that home year. game against
0: Florida State. We got that home game against Florida State coming up, which we'll preview over the weekend. That will be an interesting one for Duke.
3: Well, but, but what okay. I'm saying is,
0: it, it,
3: we're not that, I mean, look, everyone knows the rivalry is a big deal. We want to beat Carolina more than anything. But in terms of the toughest games left in our schedule, the games that, that you know, probably if you got something special, you want to pull it out for that game, probably Monday like at, at Virginia or. or you know, maybe Florida, the Florida State, State, State is, is two
0: days after that.
3: I, I, I just don't, you know, no offense to Carolina. Coach but... K is not
0: using the, he's not using the Kansas City Chiefs uh, team spin move offensive play at the goal line against UNC. Are you yeah. sure? No. <laughs>
1: that was maybe pretty they cool. Do the four, maybe they do the four corners offense. Here's that was pretty sick. They're going to do the four corners offense. And then he's going to tell Cassius Stanley, top of the backboard. And he's going to jump. And his head is going to hit the top of the backboard before <laughs> to he dunk dunks it for over.
0: That'll be sweet. That'll be sweet. Dunks in over for that. everybody. You
3: know, we were talking about players. The guy who I hope has the big bounce back game is Cassius Stanley, who's been one of the most consistent players on the team and really struggled against BC. I would love – I want to see Cassius dunk the life out of the Dean Dome at some point.
1: And here's, and here's the thing. In In a game like this, you want to have some excitement and some momentum. He can always provide that. He's one of the most exciting players that we've had in quite a long time if you take out – the guy named Zion Williamson, but he's a guy that I think if he does something like he did tonight against UNC, Ooh boy, that's going to, that's going to take it, They might leave early. It might be just Sam at the end of the game next to the bench. I'm down <laughs> rushing, rushing someone else. Nothing wrong score. with that. Nothing wrong with um, that. Yeah. But as you guys know, Saturday night, 6 PM ESPN. It's the first, the first installment of this big rivalry. Duke UNC. We will come back to you sometime after that. We're not sure if we're going to do one right after or if we're going to do one on Sunday. But obviously, we are going to recap everything that happens on Saturday night. But until then, thank you for joining us on this week, midweek edition of the DBR podcast for Sam and Jason. I am Donald and Duke Band, as always. Take us all.